Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. I'll extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us for the first time. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. Our um, opening words today are by Unitarian Minister V. Ogden Vogt. Before the wonders of life, we acknowledge our failures to see and to revere. Before the sanctities of life, we are ashamed of our disrespects and indignities. Before the gifts of life, we own that we have made choices of lesser goods and here today seek the gifts of the Spirit. Before the heroisms of life, we would be enlarged to new devotion. People ask, what holds Unitarian Universalists together when so many of us come from all of the major world religions? We have practices still that come from Buddhism, Judaism, Neo-Paganism, Christianity, many others that I am not mentioning right now, and we have roots there, and, and yet we're Unitarian Universalists. One of the things that holds us together is the idea of community and learning how to live in community. The other is justice. The other is getting our souls nourished and nourishing others and being willing for our lives to be transformed and to transform others' lives. And we put that in our mission statement, wrote it on the wall, say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. This is Yom Kippur, or it was last night. Last night was the end of it. Yom Kippur means day of judgment. Our brothers, sisters, and cousins in the Jewish community are celebrating um, walking through the rituals of repentance and reconciliation, forgiving one another and asking forgiveness. Uh, Kol Nidre is a prayer that asks us to be released from vows that we could not keep. Let us now enter into a time of meditation and prayer where we speak to God the way we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just breathe into the stillness where we seek wisdom, compassion, and clarity. Let us enter into the silence together. Kol Nidre translates all vows and talks about one of the prayers for Yom Kippur, which is a prayer to ask forgiveness and ask to be released from a vow that you took unadvisedly or without all the information or when you were too young to understand 
a vow that you made to yourself. Um, it is a prayer of mercy and forgiveness. It acknowledges that although we strive to be good people, we strive to be smart people, we strive to be healthy people, we strive to do everything just right, we still fall down. And we need some kind of process for what to do with that when we fall down, when we make mistakes. Otherwise, we just have to carry our mistakes on our backs like grudges against ourselves, like the people in Grudgeville. We don't have any mechanism for forgiving ourselves. I was amazed the first time I heard about this tradition. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church, most of you all know, and there just was not this, um, this was not a concept. The, the God of my understanding when I was growing up was a God who, um, who knew you were going to break your promises because that's just how you were. And um, you were human, you were a wretch, even your righteousness was as filthy rags, which is a quote from Isaiah. And um, it was quoted very often in my church. You know, in the Presbyterian church, you don't even come up to the front to get communion. Communion comes to you to symbolize how very little you have to do with any kind of saving action. You just have to sit there and let it come to you because who are you anyway? And you probably couldn't even get to the front if you tried. And any vows that you made that you, that you couldn't keep God understood. God loved you in spite of who you were. And um, you just had to keep them, though, wrapped around your heart like barbed wire, reminding you of uh, how broken you were and what a sheep, dumb sheep, a wretch. And to include a prayer in a worship service which, which made room for being released from vows that you made can't keep. Felt like mercy to me. So Judgment Day has mercy in it. And one of the traditional stories of uh, the days of awe, or the, ho- the high holy days, is the story of the two half-brothers, um, Isaac and Ishmael. Those of you who went to Sunday school and synagogue know the story, but many of us grew up without knowing the story, and so I'll just tell you. Um, Abraham was married to Sarah, and angels visited them and told them that they would have, um, they would be the parents of a great nation. And they, Sarah laughed because she was already pretty old, and she knew that that wasn't going to happen. And years passed, and it still didn't happen, and she started to getting antsy, and she decided that she was going to make it happen. And so... Um, she gave her handmaiden to her husband, Abraham, and uh, her handmaid had a son by her husband. And in those days, they believed that everything that had to do with the child was, connect- was in the man, and that the woman was just the, you know, the container, like a terrarium, that you, you just grew. And so it was still the son of Abraham. Um, but then she got pregnant, too, and had another son. 
And so her son was Isaac, and Ishmael was the son of Hagar. Well, she started hating on Hagar and Ishmael, and she didn't even like seeing them around the house. She complained to her husband, and he said, just take care of it, wife. Do whatever you're going to do. And so she banished Hagar and Ishmael from the house, sent them out into the desert to die. So the story is that Hagar, with her baby, was desperate and thirsty and dying and, and just staggering back and forth and back and forth. Um, and finally she came upon a well, and this well is what saved their lives. And she said prayers of thanks to God and named it the well of the living one who sees me. Who sees me. It's terrible going through your life feeling invisible. And so many people do just because of their social station or because of their bank account or because of something in their background or um, something in their family. They feel completely invisible. And to be seen is such a gift. So she named this well, the living one who sees me, the well of the living one who sees me. And, the, and God told her to go back to Abraham and Sarah and raise her child there. And, and she was able to do that. But um, Ishmael and Isaac never got along. And tradition says that Isaac was the father of the Jewish people and Ishmael was the father of the Arabic people. And... They never got along, never will, never have. It's going to go on forever because that's the seed of their beginning. And yet, in the story that's told, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, in the scriptures it says, they buried their father together when he died near that well. And the tradition goes further than the scripture, and the tradition says they reconciled. So there's a story of hope for reconciliation even within the most intractable of conflicts. Mystics of the Northern Hemisphere talk about the time of gathering darkness. The days are getting shorter, the nights are getting longer. It's a time of introspection and reflection. So these high holy days come at a very fitting time. You begin the year again in the Jewish tradition by cleaning the slate, by asking for forgiveness for your wrongs. You don't ask God for forgiveness for a wrong that you've done somebody else. You have to ask the person you wronged because it's not God's business to forgive you when you've wronged somebody else. And so you have to ask them. And if you want to get released from a vow, you have to talk to three members of your community or one ordained member, one rabbi, and explain to them why you feel like you should be released from this vow. And if they agree with you, then you may be released from that vow. It can't have anything to do with like paying the bank back for stuff. That's not one of the ones we get released from. Um, but other vows... And this time of reflection and clearing away it has a lot of um, parallels 
in the agricultural universe because you have to clear away any gardener knows. You have to clean up the beds. You have to pull out um, annuals that have gotten leggy. You have to prepare everything. You have to plant things in the fall because that gives them time to grow their roots because in the gathering darkness is the time when it's quiet enough, dark enough, cool enough for the roots to grow. So it's perfectly appropriate since we are part of the whole animal kingdom and the plant kingdom is part of all of the, it's just all together. Um, that's, that's the scientific term for it anyway. <laughs> that we're all attending to our roots and attending to the growth of a sturdy support system during this time so that when it comes time for the flowery, uh, blossoming and greeny showing um, of productivity, we'll have enough base and we'll have enough nourishment in order to do that. And so we reflect, we do what in the 12-step program is called um, taking a searching and fearless moral inventory. We look at ourselves, we look at our qualities, and I can't even, as I was writing this sermon, um, which looks like sitting on the couch staring at the wall. So if you're, if you're in a family with a writer, you know that that's what writing looks like. It's this. <laughs> Interspersed with lots of procrastination. <laughs> Usually having to do with popcorn and that kind of stuff. So as I'm writing this and I'm thinking, you're, you're taking a searching and fearless moral inventory of your good and your bad qualities. And I'm thinking, eh, I don't like that good and bad qualities. That doesn't feel true. It feels like you just have qualities, and they have a kind of a creative side and a destructive side. And um, so then the preacher in me wants to say, so then let's uh, try to make more creation than destruction. But the gardener in me says, no, destruction is necessary sometimes. And then I think uh, about the Hindu god Shiva, who is always doing this dance. He's shown at, at times with multiple arms doing a dance of creation and destruction. And the creation and destruction come from the same energy. And sometimes you do a deed and you don't even know whether it was good or not. Sometimes you say a word and you have no idea whether it was a a mistake or not. And you, you don't know what the consequences are, even maybe for generations. So sometimes you can tell you've done wrong. And you ask, forgiveness for doing wrong. Unitarian Universalist sense of sin is very easily awakened by throwing a plastic bottle into the trash instead of recycling. Just one simple way if you say, I don't know what sin is. What is the sin thing you keep talking about? I'm telling you, throw a plastic bottle in the trash. It'll be a nonverbal lesson on what it feels like to do something wrong for Unitarian Universalist. And so in this time, we attend to our roots. We look at the qualities in us, the elements that make us up. We try to see ourselves clearly in this time of reflection, in this time of sacred darkness. And it sounds weird to some people to say sacred darkness, but I'll call your attention to the beginning of the world. In the Jewish tradition, it says God created dark and light, and they were good. He called the dark good. He called the light good. They're both good. I have no idea why our culture persists in using darkness as a metaphor for sin and ignorance. Really, darkness is necessary for growth. 
You have to have a time of darkness. There has to be a time. It's a good metaphor for just not being able to see where you're going. You know, I'm in a time of darkness. Yeah, I don't know where to go. I can't see more than um, a tiny foot in front of me, and I can see a little light. If you hold a light out to me and I'm in a time of terrible darkness, I'll be able to see it because I need it in a time of deep darkness. But the plants need the darkness, and people need a time of reflection and a time of sacred dark. And so during the days of awe, we are asked to look at ourselves, and we are asked to look at our lives. Not as we wish they were, but as they actually are. Everybody's got a beautiful sense of who they are that at times the veil gets lifted and then you see who you really are, and then you go, ah, I didn't realize I was like that. Fortunately, it doesn't happen very often. But, um, and you can't trust, like, your ex to tell you <laughs> the truth of it because they always have kind of a jaundiced view. But if you have a partner that you trust and who loves you, and if you... Um, have a relationship with a community who loves you, you can kind of trust the feedback that you're getting from them and maybe take a look at yourself and see yourself as you really are. And, and know in this time that because of the story of um, Hagar, there's hope that the living one who sees you will see you with the eyes of love. And forgiveness, because that is how the mystery is. That is how uh, everyone speaks of God in every tradition. God is love, and everything else is just added on. So if you can see yourself clearly and know that you are seen clearly and drink from the well of the mystery, then you fall down and you can stand up again. You can go to someone and ask for forgiveness. And whether they forgive you or not, you've done your part. And you can ask to be released from a vow that you took that you cannot keep. And know that you are not just ignoring it. You are attending to it and trying to begin the season as clean and clear as you can be. And hopefully, the more you spend the time reflecting, the more you can also See yourself with the eyes of love. I'm going to close with a poem by Nancy Schaffer. Because we spill not only milk, knocking it over with an elbow when we reach to wipe a small face, but also spill seed on soil we thought was fertile but isn't, and also spill whole lives and only later see in fading light how much is gone and we hadn't intended it. Because we tear not only cloth, thinking to find a true edge and instead making only a hole, but also tear friendships when we grow. And whole mountainsides, because we're so many, and we want to live right where black oaks lived, once very quietly and still. Because we forget not only what we're doing in the kitchen and have to go back into the room we were in before, remember why it was we left, but also forget entire lexicons of joy and how we lost ourselves for hours, yet all that time were clearly found and held. 
And also forget the hungry not at our table, because we weep not only at jade plants caught in a freeze and precious papers left in the rain, but also at legs that no longer walk or never did, although from the outside they look like most others, and also weep at words said once as though they might be rearranged, but which once loose refused to return. And we're helpless because we're imperfect and love so deeply. We will never have enough days. We need the gift of starting over, beginning again, just this constant good, this saving hope. Let us say together the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Return again. Return again. Return to the home of your soul. Return again. Return again. Return to the home of your soul. Return to what you are. Return to who you are. Return to where you are, born and reborn again. Return again. Return again. Return to the home of your soul. Yeah. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.